the prequel to the 42nd episode, we're learning about adapting real life and previewing Black Klansmen. Hello, welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's the prequel to the 42nd episode, and as I said, we are first learning things, and what we're learning is about adapting real life. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Okay, so I wanted to talk about this because this is the first like definite memoir mm-hmm. that we've done on here. Um, Which is the thing I just learned today about oh, you, this movie. You didn't know it was based on a true story? I don't think I did. Maybe I had heard it and it went in one ear and out the other. But I had always yeah. just assumed, I guess because it's so... The trailers always made it look so over the top and mm-hmm. wild and just weird that I was like <laughs> assumed it was just like a... You know, a, like a, a flight fictional, of fancy, yeah, yeah, a fictional story, but uh, apparently not. Yeah, no, it's it's based on a memoir. Yes, um, and a, a memoir. I think we mentioned this in the um, Christmas story episode, mm-hmm, maybe because because we talked a little bit about whether or not that one would be considered a memoir, and yeah. we kind of landed on it's a eh, not really, memoir, yeah, yeah. Um, But this one is very definitely a memoir, Um, and a memoir, uh, the way that that differs from, like, an autobiography is that a memoir is, like, a a zoom-in on a specific point in somebody's Mm -hmm. life, Um, like a specific experience that they had or or time in their life. Yeah. Um, Whereas autobiography more generally covers the entire... Like their whole life, yeah. But I wanted to talk about this because I find it really interesting um, so as an audience, uh, we expect certain things from stories. Like we have a specific set of expectations from narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, we expect narrative arcs, right? Uh, building action, climax, yeah. falling action. Um, we expect character development. We expect a denouement or some kind of closure mm-hmm. at the end of the story. But real life doesn't always work like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, real life doesn't give us plot lines. So turning a real life account of something that happened into a digestible story, I think, is a kind of complex thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have some experience with writing memoir and creative nonfiction. Uh, n- not a ton of experience, mind you. Um, <laughs> but some. But some. Uh, so I'm going to speak from that experience. Um, my, oh, my own experience, like writing on my own, and also from classes that I've taken and other writers that I've worked with. Um, so again, I'm speaking from that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and one thing that I want to talk about that has stuck with me is the concept of what truth is when you're turning truth into a narrative, into a story. Um, And I had a professor who would talk about capital T truth and lowercase t truth. Um, So lowercase t truth is the nuts and bolts of what actually happened Mm -hmm. um, and like the time frame that it happened in, the people who were involved with it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Capital T truth is the emotional truth of what happened. Um, It's the things that you learned, what you got out of experience, uh, out of the experience, um, the emotional impact that it had on you. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
when you turn real life into a narrative, into a story, the capital T truth, the emotional truth becomes more important in a sense. Yes. Because um, narrative... Narrative might dictate that you have to omit some things or you have to combine events mm-hmm. or maybe combine multiple people into one character right. or speed up a timeline mm-hmm. or dramatize something because we needed an action beat here. Yeah. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, I think despite what you have to change about the nuts and bolts, the capital T emotional truth should still be intact. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that should still be be there yes um so obviously as always as we continue with this review i'm really interested to see what changes the movie makes from the Mm -hmm. memoir um but in this case i'm also really interested to see if the movie respects that emotional truth and keeps it intact yes for my yeah that will be interesting to see that's from my reading that a little bit I've done about the movie so far, I think that was their main goal. And I think mm-hmm. the movie probably takes um, licenses for sure. Yes. Uh, I mean, I know it does uh, based again from the few things I've read, but uh, I think that the main thing that they were going for was that emotional truth and the sort of the impact that mm-hmm. they thought this story could have. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the preview. So yeah. cool. Well done, Katie. Thanks. That was interesting. <laughs> well, let's move on to Black Klansman book facts. There's never been a black cop in this city. We think you might be the man to open things up around here. Hello, this is Ron Stallworth calling. Who am I speaking with? This is David Duke, Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. That David Duke? All right, so Black Klansman is a 2014 memoir by Ron Stallworth. Um, Most of what I have is more about him. Um, yeah. Because it is a memoir. Yeah. Um, but I didn't want to like get into a lot about him even because then it's, it's spoilers, like spoilers. Yeah. Which is an interesting kind of line to ride as yeah. I was making these notes. Um, but Stallworth is a retired police officer, and he was the first black officer and detective in the Colorado Springs Police Department. Um, that was 1974 was hmm. when he was uh, sworn into the force. Um, He was born in Chicago, but he grew up in Texas. Um, I thought this was kind of interesting. In high school, he was uh, on student council. He was on a district-wide advisory board. He was also a cheerleader. Um, And he was voted most popular. Well, there you go. So, sounds like a fun guy. Yeah. Um, His family moved to Colorado Springs in 1972, which is when he took an interest in law enforcement. Um, And after just 10 months as a uniformed patrol officer, he was offered an undercover position. Mm -hmm. Um, Following that, then, he was transferred to the department's intelligence section. So it didn't take him long to get where he wanted to go. Yeah. um, Which is pretty cool. Um, So for source material for this memoir, he actually used a case book that he assembled during this assignment um, and then kind of kept after it ended. Um, I do have a couple things 
that I don't think are super spoilery. Okay. Um, so the the way that he kind of got into this undercover investigation was that in 1979, he noticed a want ad mm-hmm. in the local paper um, seeking members to start a new chapter of the KKK in yeah. Colorado Springs and was kind of like... Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so called up the phone number that was listed and posed as someone who was wanting, um, to, join. wanting to join. Yeah. Um, also, then in an interview he did, I think in 2006, he disclosed that the undercover investigation he did actually revealed several clan members who were active members of the armed forces, um, including two who worked at... Um, is it N O R A D or is it NORAD? Do you, NORAD, do you yeah. pronounce it like that? You just say okay, NORAD. NORAD yeah. um, that control triggers for nuclear weapons. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, the the, the yeah, it's yeah. a little more complicated than that, from well, yeah. what I understand. But yes, yeah. But yeah. like cool beans. Yeah. So, um, Stallworth is also the author of three additional books. Um, most of which are about um, hip hop and uh, gang related like codes. Yeah. Which is kind of neat. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. And just a, in case anybody isn't hasn't seen the movie or is unaware of what it is, what he did was that, and we kind of touched on it there, is that he went undercover in the KKK. Yeah. Hence the name Black Klansman. Yeah. He's a black cop who kind of went undercover uh, to infiltrate the KKK. So that's, that's what's going <laughs> on there. All right. Let's move on and talk a little bit about Black Klansman, the film. What can I do you for? Well, since you asked, I hate blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish, Italians, and Chinese. But my mouth to God's ears, I really hate those black rats. And anyone else, really, that doesn't have pure white Aryan blood running through their veins. I'm happy to be talking to a true white American. God bless white America. So black Klansman, because the the movie title is Black KK Klansman. Black K Klansman with three Ks in the smushed it together and added an added extra a K, K in the middle. Yeah, um, which makes sense, you know, visually. Yeah. But it, I'm not exactly sure how you're supposed to say it. <laughs> I'm wonder like what the I think it's just Black Klansman probably yeah. still. But yeah, so I was like, well, how do I say this? All right. Um, so it's uh, directed by Spike Lee, uh, most famous, probably most well known for directing. Mean, he's directed a ton of stuff, but uh, probably most famously, do the right thing, Malcolm X and. Mm-hmm. A more like popular, less um, critical like film is Inside Man, which is kind of like an action thriller heist movie mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Denzel. Um, the movie was written by four different people or adapted by four different people: uh, Charlie Wachtel, David Rabinowitz, Kevin Wilmot, and Spike Lee himself. And two of those people uh, are kind of the ones who discovered the book and decided to make it a screenplay in 2015. Uh, Charlie Wachtel and David Rabinowitz, who are both screenwriters and producers on the project, uh, discovered the book. They ended up interviewing Stallworth and wrote a spec screenplay, and then they pitched that to some other producers. Uh, and then they, the, all four of them together brought this to uh, QC Entertainment, which had co-produced, co-produced Get Out oh, in 2017. Okay, okay. Uh, and again, QC then teamed up with Jason Bloom's company, Bloomhouse Production, who's made most of the good mid-level horror films in the last 10 years, and also were co-producers on Get Out, I'm pretty sure, and Jordan Peele's company, uh, Monkey Paul, uh, who's d- mm-hmm. doing his film that's coming, uh, Us, which is coming yes. out, and all that sort of stuff, uh, to produce the project. Um, and then Spike Lee signed on to direct, and John David Washington, who is Denzel Washington's son, 
was in the got uh, became signed on to be the star of the film. Uh, and and fun fact about John David Washington, which I thought was interesting, his very first film role was as a fourth grader in Malcolm X in one oh, really? class, like as a, an extra in a classroom scene mm-hmm. in Malcolm X. It's been a long time. It's been since film school since I saw Malcolm X, but there's apparently a scene in a school and he was like, plays like some random fourth grader. So full circle. We watched that in um, high school. When I was in high school, we watched that in one of my history classes. I think I watched it in a film class in high school, mm-hmm. now that I think about it, but I can't remember. It was either that or in college, I think, but yeah. But it's been since then, since I've seen Malcolm X, so. Uh, I've seen Do the Right Thing more recently, which is really mm-hmm. good. Yeah. And probably should have won Best Picture, or at least Best Director, but maybe he'll get one of the, Spike will get one of the awards this year. Uh, Black Klansman won the Grand Prix at the Cannes Film Festival, which is their second place trophy mm-hmm. uh, after the Palm d'Or, which is what everybody's heard of. But the Grand Prix is still a prestigious award. I actually didn't look and see what won the Palm d'Or. I should have looked that up <laughs> this year uh, or last year. Uh, contrary to popular belief, and this uh, is kind of a spoiler for the movie, uh, the real Stan Walworth never used a quote-unquote white voice on the phone uh he said he had to use his real voice because he thought they would have caught him because he would have slipped up mm. like if he was trying to do like a quote-unquote white voice yeah on the phone he was like I'm, i'll mess up and they'll notice that i'm changing my voice so he decided not to do that uh so tover grace plays david duke in the film uh the famous david duke infamous david duke uh, and Tover Grace said in an interview uh, after after the film came out that portray- portraying David Duke left him feeling depressed. So as an act of <laughs> catharsis, he took on the project of editing Peter Jackson's trilogy of films based on The Hobbit into a single two-hour movie. <laughs> what? Now, this is, that's not an out-of-note, completely out-of-nowhere thing. Uh, Tover Grace is a big sort of fan of film and, like, f- very much a film student. Uh, and but he's he's done he he sort of infamously did the same thing with the Star Wars prequels. Mm-hmm. And there's like this big sort of um nobody's ever seen it except for like Topher Grace's friends because he can't show it mm-hmm. because of you know copyright and stuff or he can, you know he can't distribute it in any way but he apparently edited the prequels into a 2 hour film and everybody who's seen it said it's like the best version of the pre- <laughs> like it's great yeah um and so he he went about and it's another interesting project to do that with um, cause you know, the prequels have a lot of good things and a lot of bad things in them. I feel the same way about the Hobbit mm-hmm. movies where they have their high points and a lot of low points at the same time. So combining that into a two hour film kind of makes, potentially makes a lot of sense. That's and so, that's what he. Like interesting to me that he would do that to make himself feel better. Cause I yeah. think, I feel like it would make me feel worse. He, he's one of those people <laughs> who just likes retreating and, and editing apparently yeah. cause he's done it. He does it quite a bit. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, the film contains clips from D.W. Griffith's silent movie, The Birth of a Nation, which I watched some of in film school, not all of it. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Uh, it's a, We'll talk about it. Uh, yeah. While Spike Lee was a student at NYU uh, film school, obviously, he was so outraged that NYU showed the they, that uh, the professors taught Birth of a Nation, but they didn't make any mention of its like racist message or the mm-hmm. role of, that the Klan played in the film. Um that he made a short film reaction, like his own short film to it, called, or like responding to it, called The Answer. Uh, and the film offended so many of his professors that Lee was nearly expelled from NYU. Uh, but ultimately he was saved by a faculty vote. They voted on whether nice. or not to kick Spike Lee out. And then after uh, Spike Lee went on to have his career in the film industry, uh, he became a professor at NYU. <laughs> <laughs> and he serves at the, uh, at the, as the artistic director of the graduate film department, so... 
It's a big, uh, big F you to yeah. them. <laughs> uh, and speaking of uh, Birth of Nation, for anybody who doesn't know or hasn't seen it, Birth of Nation is a sort of a revolutionary film technique and filmmaking wise uh, from the very early uh, 20th century. Uh, it came out in 1915, mm-hmm. and it's sort of, it, it was, uh, like I said, we learned about it in film school. It was very revolutionary in a lot of what they did, uh, and sort of... In sort like of, stuff that hadn't been done before. Yeah, and and, and the way the narrative is set up, and the, just the filmmaking techniques that the movie uses, are, are we're all very revolutionary, and it is, um, you know, it is a part of film history because of those things, uh, but it's also the heroes of the movie are the clan, so it's, yeah. you know... <laughs> not without its faults but so to, to kind of respond, or just to kind of put this part in here um in 2013 american uh film critic richard brody uh writing for afi uh wrote that the birth of a nation was a seminal commercial spectacle but also a decisively original work of art in effect the founding work of cinematic realism albeit a work that was developed to pass lies off as reality it's tempting to think of the film's influence as evidence of the inherent corruption of realism as a cinematic mode but it's even more revealing to acknowledge the disjunction between its beauty on the one hand and on the other its injustice and falsehood the movie's fabricated events shouldn't lead any viewer to deny the historical facts of slavery and reconstruction but they also shouldn't lead to a denial of the peculiar disturbingly exalted beauty of a of birth of a nation even if it's depiction of immoral actions and its realization of blatant propaganda the worst thing about the birth of a nation is how good it is the merits of its grand and enduring aesthetic make it impossible to ignore and despite its disgusting content also make it hard not to love and it's that very conflict that renders the film all the more despicable, the experience of the film more of a torment, together with the acknowledgement that Griffith, whose short films of biograph, I'm not sure what that is, were uh, already among the treasures of world cinema, yoked his mighty talent to the cause of hatred, which, still worse, he, sincere, he sincerely depicted as virtuous. So, it's, yeah, it's a controversial film, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, yeah, kind of revolutionary in ways. Uh, so, apparently, the real David Duke called Ron Stallworth uh, to express his concern over his buffoonish, cartoonish, idiot portrayal in the film. Really? So, that's about all that's, that's all I had on that topic. I just thought that was funny. I'm surprised that he thought Ron Stallworth was interested in his opinion on that. Uh, I love also, I have this note, uh, Duke also added that he respected director Spike Lee. Okay. Interesting. Uh, after seeing the film, he was not pleased that the film did not follow the events of the book. So apparently David Duke thinks he comes off like roses in the book, but the movie not as much. Well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> it's interested. Uh, as I said, I had to include that because I'm interested to see sort of the disparity and if, if David Duke comes off good in the book. I find that hard to believe, yeah. but sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's just a really interesting note. I, I wouldn't have thought that David Duke would either read this book or watch this right? movie. So <laughs> yeah, that and then, shocks me. And apparently he's got Ron Stallworth's phone number. So right. yeah, interesting. Um, and finally, uh, the film is dedicated to the life of Heather Heyer, uh, who is uh, famously, fatally, not famous, well, and kind of famously hit by a car uh, while protesting the Unite the Right rally mm-hmm. in 2017 in Charlottesville. Uh, the film opened in the U.S. on August 10th, 2018, to mark the one-year anniversary of the rally and of her death. So there's a title credit at the end um, cool. honoring her. So I thought that was interesting and yeah. cool. 
And uh, apparently it was something that really affected Spike Lee. So. so so part of the reason that we wanted to do this book, I mean, the larger reason is that I think it's interesting and yeah. important. Um, but another part of the reason was that it is nominated for yeah. six Oscars. It's up for a lot of Oscars. Yeah. Best um, Picture, Best, best Picture, Director. Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, um, a couple other ones. Yeah, and the Best Adapted being a very, obviously, a... Make, uh, that being nominated for best adapted makes it kind of perfect for yeah our podcast for, for what we do yeah. here yeah and none of the other best adapted struck me as as interesting as this one there so. were uh, yeah and there were quite a few um, that weren't adapted from books yeah. that were like adapted from well we mentioned we, movies we discussed and... the potential of doing uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs which is mm-hmm. up for best adapted and it's on Netflix but it's adapted from several short stories it's apparently the movie sounds like it's like vignettes maybe yeah and it's adapted from several different short stories some of them are more well known and easy to find other ones i couldn't even find a source of what they were adapted from so yeah so um we'll be watching the oscars i guess we'll have it on we'll have it on i have it on in the background (laughs) yeah i don't Um, really watch it's not they're not all that interesting Uh, yeah i I, I find it interesting to see what wins yeah like i find that interesting and when there's a movie that i really like i enjoy like when uh shape of water won that was like my Mm -hmm. favorite movie of the year and i was really glad that it was nominated and ended up winning um but you know i I don't so i think the the ceremony is a couple days after our main episode for this so we will then be checking back in (laughs) to see um, how how it did to, yeah, to, to see if it won anything. Maybe we'll be excited. Maybe we'll be angry and disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll be interesting. So that was the next episode, Black Klansmen. As always, you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the social media. Go and leave us a like, a rating, a review, or whatever on all of the places that you download us. Check us out on social media and come back in one week for our review and breakdown of Black Klansmen. Until then, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else keep reading books keep watching movies and And keep keep being being awesome. awesome